Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Paul and Jolene. And today we're talking about the bait and switch game. Which is a really bad idea, just so you know. Well, okay, so a little, little background on me. I've been playing games for a long time, but it wasn't until I started running games at Game Cons, played and ran games there. I developed different skills and different ways of running games and different ideas because you know when you run with your group and you only run with your group especially for us when we were running since we were in junior high everybody's used to each other and stuff like that and they kind of sometimes people fit in the same role over and over again i'm going to say i'm going to call out my friend mike who always played the scoundrel grifter no matter what kind of character he, he was he even made a wholesome druid uh, shepherd of the forest into this grifter guy who was out there. That was when food. that was when he was a teenager, though, right? <laughs> he was a teenager. But but it seems like you know that that we fall into roles. But when we when I was started to run games like around 1995 at con games at different conventions here in the in San Francisco Bay Area, it one players threw me for loops all the time because I wasn't used to their style of play and I was like wow that's pretty cool that what that person did and another thing is is that I couldn't really predict how they would react to things where I could with my friends my presented their friends with a situation I more or less knew how they were going to react and what they were going to do but strangers you don't know so so that's where I'm coming from so I've been running games for a long time and I never really thought about the bait and switch kind of game I, I just I don't even know what they were really. And I remember I had this idea for a World War II game where I was going to insert the supernatural like halfway through the game. Like it was just going to be a straight World War II. We, a few weeks after D-Day, the p- characters are tromping through France. I had this fascination with Dijon, France because I hate mustard. But Dijon... You're such a dork. <laughs> but Dijon, France is an interesting location. And that's where I was going to set my game. And I was thinking like Kelly's Heroes type of game where... The characters are, they're kind of on their own. They're being led by some guy, officer who's maybe, what is he? He's crafty and he's like a Mike character, right? He's out for his own benefit. And if you've ever seen the movie Kelly's Heroes, they come across a bank that has a bunch of gold that's been stolen by the Germans. And there's a tank there and all this stuff. So I was going to, you know, insert that kind of game. In, you know, that was the kind of game I was going for. And then I was going to insert a little bit of weird, a little supernatural. And uh, and I, I worked on it and I worked on it. And I uh, and then I asked a few friends of mine who were GMs at cons. And they ran a lot of con games. And they're like, oh, that's a bait and switch, dude. Probably shouldn't do that. I'm like, what's that? He goes, where you present one game and then you give them something else. I'm like, really? He goes, oh, yeah. I goes, they were telling me, a couple of them, that's a bad idea. I'm like, really? I, I just never thought about that, that people would be upset. So I tabled that game. That was about, I came up with that game about 15 years ago. Our son was pretty young. So a bait and switch is when you present something and then <laughs> when he presents a game and then you don't, follow with that what that presentation was and there's different illustrations or different uh, examples of it i was thinking of just like like what i was saying i'm gonna start a world war ii game i'm not gonna tell them about the supernatural they're just gonna be regular soldiers 
and then they come across weird out in the field, of the battlefield kind of thing. But Jolene's well, across from something a little bit stranger. Well, from that example, I would say that in your description, you should at least put it's you. You would have to say something about weird war, right? That and and I wouldn't understand why you wouldn't just say I'm going to run a weird war game and then they would know that there was going to be supernatural in it. So I just wanted to surprise them with the supernatural. That was the whole point. That was my thinking. Our only when we ran our big game with three tables in three different genres. Yes. <clears throat> we had that issue in trying to figure out what to put in the the program for Dundracon when we did it because we didn't want to lie to the people and we talked about that. We talked about we didn't want it to be a bait and switch. Right. Because you had already figured out that. And and even and in our description we made it clear that it wasn't gonna be straightforward, right? That there was that you would have to save the world and you may have to do different things to do it. Yeah, I, I don't know if we were exactly clear on what our intention was because we did want to sort of surprise people. So I thought that's what I was going for. And so when I when I wrote the description I literally said that people would influence what was going on in the other tables. Yes. But I didn't specifically say we're going to move people from one table to another. I'll put it in the show notes. We actually talked about this big game that we ran at DungeonCon a few years ago with three tables of six players each ran by three different GMs. And Jolene was the GM Wrangler who coordinated to make sure that we were all so on never, task. And never on do again. <laughs> I actually thought it was it went off really well. It did, and most people really, really liked it. We just had there were these three people that came in at the beginning going, "I only want to play at the D and D table." Yeah, that was one guy, I think, and the other two people were along with the ride for him. One was his wife, was, and one was his best friend, and so they all sat down at the D and D table. You're right, and then they they were kind of mad because uh, well, he I, was mad. Right, his wife he, was perfectly fine moving, right. and she had a blast. <laughs> that was just funny because. So they were in the D&D group. Her and, and, and his best friend got moved to my table, and he got stuck by himself at, his, at the D&D table. And uh, all that is explained in the episode where we talk about the big game, the big D&D game. And I'll put it the show notes to, if you want to listen to that, and so it describes everything we did. So what I want to do is kind of surprise the players a little bit. And what we did was we added three times at, at one point, we moved two players and we rotated two players from table to table to table. And I thought it was a great idea. I think most people loved it. They were like, wow, this is pretty cool. Because it was kind of like interdimensional. Because all three tables were facing the same bad guy, but in three realities or whatever. And we were going to make the whole reality converge and blow everything apart and disintegrate the universes and the multiverse. And... It was. I thought it was an interesting idea. I thought it was really fun. I, I was vague about what was going to happen in the game because I wanted that to be kind of a surprise. And we had the, my friend got a gong, so we call it the, the three the gong of doom or something like that. The three rings of doom, and so we would actually hit the gong, and that's when we would all switch. So uh, players, and most of the players really liked it afterwards. They really they told us how much they enjoyed it. And the best line that I heard during the game was. One of the the sorcerers from the D and D realm came to the su- a supernatural game, and Love literally it. when um when she threw a fireball, the pe- was it a fireball? It was a fireball. Yeah, it was a fireball. And the people at the table, one of the guy goes, "Do we really see a fireball come out of her hand?" <laughs> and 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 your and Saul goes, "Yes." And the the guy goes, "Cool." 
Yeah, that was really neat. Like I said, I, I don't really want to talk about that game too much. I know. Described it, but it was funny because what happened was they had a witch, and I, and that's what I called her in the in that game because she was a sorceress, but we just called her witch. So she would always the person playing it was a woman, and she was always talking about weird stuff like 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 a modern witch would. So the modern witch, the modern sorceress, at my table never threw a spell. She talked about herbs and. She had potions that made you feel better. And so everybody thought she was just a crazy lady in the game. Was probably some other type of character because they were all playing modern characters. The cleric was actually a, a, like a priest. A medic, a right? A medic or a priest. I forget what he was. But nobody believed that she could actually throw spells. So when their, when their sorcerers got taken to the future, I believe is the direction she went, and they got this medieval woman with robes and stuff and all kinds of strange, you know, accoutrements to her to her wardrobe. They just they're like, whoa, right? They were like, and so at one point they get in trouble and she throws a fireball, and that's exactly what happened. And then all, all the whole table looks at me, and this one guy goes, "Did we actually see a fireball come out of her head?" <laughs> I go, "Yeah." She's like, "What do you say?" Cool. <laughs> Which I, I I didn't even think about how it wasn't even the given that she was really. That either, both of them were actually real sorcerers, but the other one never threw a spell. And, and well, because in modern day, witches right. don't throw fireballs, right? Yeah. right? Not not where everybody can see them. And she, they, they were they all the, they were exactly the same build. I think we gave them the same yeah. uh, spells and stuff. Anyway, it wasn't. I don't consider that a real classic bait and switch. That other one uh, you ta- you mentioned before. Did you mention it already? No. But I, I think the, the example that we're using here is just that you can see some people had a really good time right. with it and some people didn't like the right. idea. So I would be really careful doing that. And I wouldn't, I would probably, one, I would never run that game again because it was just insane to try to, to wrangle the GMs into doing what they were supposed to. And then I think we broke Steve because he, he's, he doesn't want a GM anymore at conventions because of that. Yeah, we did talk about that last time too. So that episode, I looked it up, and it's episode seven, way back number seven of our podcast. So we'll go all the way to almost the beginning, and episode seven is the big D and D game at DungeonCon. I actually, I really liked it, how it went. I think for the first try, we we didn't play test it because we couldn't play test it with eighteen people. I mean, I guess I could have wrangled 18 friends of mine but i don't know but it was like the first time we did it it was kind of crazy we try to use uh what is it uh those drapes that our friend had painted for a little bit of a separation between the tables i was hoping to get a little bit of sound separation but but it, it didn't work but i also didn't want the tables to be totally separated because i wanted the people to be able to hear kind of what was going on through the table and then they're like kind of having this you know maybe they would get the glimpse of what was going on, on the other table and it would be similar to what was going on at my table but it was just too loud to be able to discern little elements of sound or bites of sound here and there so then so it was a very big learning process and i honestly i thought a lot of people liked it there was only like i said those what we talked about those three people that supposedly didn't like it and it really was only the the husband his friend and the and and his wife were like when they were at my table they were like super happy they were playing and then you know they were just having a good time but i could see that if he wanted to play with his friend that he didn't like well he, and then he only wanted to play D. there was the the people that had gone to the future and 
they felt a little bit uncertain <laughs> that they couldn't run the ship right. Right. And then the uh, one of the other players goes, "All we do is tell the ship what we want it to do, and it does it." And as soon as that player said that, those characters right. just came to life, right? right? And they were like, "Oh, that's what you do." <laughs> and then yes. and then then they were like, "Oh, okay, I could do that." Yeah, because they, I think they came from my timeline, yeah, the modern timeline. So when they went to the future or the futuristic sci-fi one, they're like, oh, I don't have, I don't know how to do things." And this one guy, and this, it was a friend of ours. It was uh, <laughs> forget his name, but it was one of Jonah's friends. And he, and he goes, "We don't know what we're taught to do things either. We just tell the computer and it does it." <laughs> and then they're like, "Really?" They're like, yeah. And they're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> After that one, it was oh, no, no problem. Yeah. So that's it. That's interesting. But uh, when I looked it up online. Most of the bait and switch kind of games, um, I wouldn't do. I wouldn't suggest it. This one guy suggested that he wanted to. He didn't want to play D and D, but he wanted to put it out as a D and D game, and then have people after the first session. He was gonna say, "I don't want to play D and don't want to run D and I want to run this. So if you come back next time, this is what I'm gonna run." And he thought that would be a good idea. And from the comment section, people thought that was Which, a very bad idea. Because we berated, we cannot say some of the things that people said. And Jolie was telling me about that. I'm like, oh, my God. So that is, I haven't thought about, because seriously, I have thought about that bait and switch. But, one, well, it's pretty sneaky. And a lot, a lot of times when, I don't know, that's pretty bad. Because, like, if people, if you're inviting people for a D&D game, people are expecting a D&D game. Now, I never thought about Oh, you guys are here for D and D, but I'm gonna run Twilight 2000, and like we already told you, we don't like Twilight 2000 <laughs> or something like that. So my our D and D game was a slight trespass on the bait and switch. That was totally bait and switch, right? When you want to run a game that's completely different than the one you say you're gonna run. And another thing, I was thinking, I never even thought of that. I was thinking more like just adventures where you present something as an adventure as being like. I don't know, an investigative game and it becomes like an action game. Now, I don't know how that would happen, what kind of things would have to change for the game to go that way, but sometimes games change the way just because different players are playing it. Like, I've ran the same adventure a few times in of different kinds of games that I run, and because the players are different, the game is different, right? For example, I ran I ran a Tecmo game, uh, what is it, uh, Empire of the Petal Throne using Bethorm, the rules by Jeff D. And I ran it like five different times, the same adventure. And I didn't change a thing, nothing. Uh, and it was like, it was like five different games. And some of them were pretty similar. Some of them were pretty similar, I gotta admit. But other ones, like this one game, it was like they wanted to answer, they wanted to answer all the questions that they had. So it's very investigative heavy. They're like, why is this happening? What's going on? And stuff like that. Where there was another group that was like very task orientated, right? So the so the, I've talked about it before. The adventure was taking a prisoner from one city to another. Uh, if you don't know what Tecmo or Empire Pell Throne is, it's a it's a far future game, but it actually has descended to like medieval world. So on another planet, it's very dangerous. So move going from one city to another is very dangerous, and but there's these big roads called the Sackby roads that are like they're kind of like similar to the Great Wall of China, and that's how they've traveled from one place to another because even the countryside is really dangerous, even though it's like under control of the army. So there's one group. There was all kinds of weird stuff happening along the road, 
and didn't care. It was like, <laughs> we're going to the other city, all that weird stuff. It's interesting, but we're just going to keep going. And so, like, they just, like, made a beeline for the other, the other city. And the other people were like, well, why is that happening? And, like, let's go figure it out. And so so that was a change in the in the game, but that had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the players. You weren't baiting and switching right. anything. That was just different players, but different, different outcomes. intentionally said, well, this is just a, a combat game, and it becomes an investigative game, and I, or it is an investigative game. I'm not sure if that's a bait and switch. But but I think the the, pro, the problem is if you present something as something and then don't deliver that something. I also was reading that this one guy says that this has been happening to him, bait and switch games, since AD&D. And he's not talking about... Um, like they present one thing and do another. He's talking about how you you roll up your characters, you're planning on playing something, and then the GM does something like a swirly thing is there and you're, <laughs> you're transported to the other side of Forgotten Realms or whatever, right? I, although I don't think Forgotten Realms existed during AD&D, but... I think it did. Okay, then it, there you go. Or all of a sudden you're transported, you go to sleep in your camp and, the, and it's kind of foggy and you wake up in Ravenloft or well, things that, like that. that. That's the way that game's supposed to play, though. The, the, from the very beginning. But he's talking about how he thinks that that's a little bit of bait and switch, that you're yeah. planning on doing one thing, but you're doing another. But that's D&D, right? Because you never know what's going to... Well, if you're playing the magical world, you never know yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. That whole Ravenloft, I think that's officially uh, how you get transported to Bavoria, or something like that. The world that the Ravenloft, Ravenloft world? is in, it is... Uh, you get transported there... The, I think one is through that way where you're in camp and it gets all foggy and you wake up and you're in this world of Transylvania kind of with vampire or you don't know it's a vampire but it's, you're in Ravenloft land and then there is a uh, I think the new one is like you're going through the forest again with fog I'll never trust fog <laughs> never trust fog and uh, you magically wander into the world of Ravenloft and that's I don't know. The thing is that when people start running, unless you don't tell your players you're running Ravenloft and that happens, that could be considered a bait and switch because that totally changes the vibe of the of the world. Well, I don't know. Depending on how you run your D and D game, my D and D is pretty straightforward, and I usually run in Forgotten Realms. That's where you know I've thought about making my own world, but eh, what the hell is Forgotten Realms? You know, my games are high, you know high adventure, just the way that usually D and D is set up. And my players, if I didn't tell them we were going to go into Ravenloft and they go into Ravenloft, now some players, a couple of players would really love that, like Ian would love yes. Ravenloft. But other players, like maybe you or maybe Kathy, because it's kind of like a miserable world or land where this vampire is in charge of things, so things can't be too good for humans. So everybody's like depressed, misery and stuff, and I'm not sure a lot of people would like that. Some of my players would like that, but what are you going to do? Kill everything and get out. <laughs> well, that's the thing. How do you get out of that world? Because you don't even know how you got there. I think the only way to get out of it is to go after... Uh, the vampire? Yeah. Which I forget what his name is. Well, then that's what we would do, and then we'd probably die. But there you go. Yeah, there you go. So the only thing I can think about for bait and switch is if you have created the characters for something and then you're sending them to something else... That kind of takes away player agency, right? Because the player doesn't necessarily want to go there. Right. I think what, what what happens is is that if somebody expects a certain kind of game and you present something totally different, 
you know, you run the risk of upsetting somebody, right? And I'm like, I don't want to play that game. Or even that type of game. Right. And so if you don't tell people things, I don't know. I think it could just, like, my friends who told me, admonished me, don't run a bait and switch game. It seems kind of bait and switch to me. Even though my World War II game that would turn a little bit weird or turn weird, I don't think that was too big of a transgression because ultimately this only happens in one shots and con games, which are basically one shots. There's a bait and switch where it's a problem like that where you where you present one game and kind of insert something a little bit different. For example, if I was running, I don't know, like I was running this World War II game and I added something weird, then some people who are like, oh, I don't want to play in a realistic World War II game. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. But I think most people might roll with that. It's a little bit easier. I think it's possible. I think it wasn't so bad. Our big D&D game, okay. We kind of bent that that rule, don't use a bait and switch. But I think it, it worked out pretty good. Now, changing the whole game, now that's the real bait and switch where you say, I'm going to play D&D and, oh, I'll bring out Space Opera. We're going to play that instead. I think that might really upset people. That's a real bait and switch. Also, if you present like an adventure and then that's not the adventure you run. Like if it's a, a adventure, some pe- people, maybe a published adventure, like like Ravenloft, you say, oh, well, we're going to play in Forgotten Realms and then everybody makes a character and then everybody goes to sleep at the camp and they wake up in Ravenloft. They're like, oh, wow, we're going to play Ravenloft. Though I think Ravenloft is originally set in Forgotten Realms. But it's like in an alternate reality kind of thing. So it's not really part of Forgotten Realms. Like if you open up Forgotten Realms map, there's no Movorio, Bulgaria, whatever that, that place that Ravenloft takes place in. It's not on the map anywhere. You read about this one person who, who oh. put out that inclusive game. <laughs> yeah, I read about this guy and I think it was England who put out a game that said it was friendly for... It was supposed to be a very friendly game for women and other individuals that felt uncomfortable playing games and then so these women went to the game and was that a convention it was at a convention and it turned out that he he, it turned into this misogynistic kind of game (laughs) and the lady's like well it was we had already signed up for it we didn't want to leave it and i'm like going i'm thinking yeah i would have just walked away i might have actually not just walked away i might have said something and then Then and then walked away yeah, you're getting uh. shanked. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really nasty. I would definitely, that's terrible, no matter what. That's that's like somebody who is just a terrible GM, right? The whole idea that they invite people who, to be inclusive and then they do exactly what people don't want to happen. And I think the guy was trying to, I think the guy was like trying to make a point about something. I don't know what the point was. Yeah, well, because the point. I it think. was. That's why I, when I read that, I was like, oh, that's I can't. Pretty, yeah, that's, that's pretty that's bad. That's a pretty bad individual. And that's, what do you, I don't even know what to call that. That's, uh, what is that? Not being truthful or straightforward. I don't know what better word for that is. I don't really think that's a bait and switch game. I think that's more of a, of a, of a really bad GM game, right? Yeah. Or somebody who's trying to cause pain to people or. Yeah, that's just terrible. I, don't, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever been in a bad game like that or where somebody is just vile. I mean, that's just, just the best word for that situation. But we're not talking about something like that who seemingly that guy just wants to inflict people, right? Oh, I need victims for my game. <laughs> and these are people I want to punish. So I'm going to say that, you know, they're safe in my 
my group. Yeah. You know, you know it's like telling I you. I think he was going against the whole PC thing, the, the idea of uh, zero sessions, people. Well, uh, and, so. well, they usually have zero five minutes. Yeah. Then. Zero <laughs> and, yeah, the game and X cards and. Uh, yeah, I guess. And but things like you that. Just prove the point that, that you need one. Right. Right. Or, or you shouldn't be GMing because you're a piece of crap. That's pretty bad. Uh, again, I think uh, uh, bait and switches are really, uh, for me, is is a, a con game. You know that situation because in a home game where you're gonna play a long campaign, the session zero would totally x out this uh, this bait and switch problem. And if it didn't, then your friends would would Definitely. would give you an earful <laughs> and tell you exactly what they think. Especially if you have a session zero, <laughs> and it's all about you know figuring out what are what is it uh where we're comfortable going what kind of game we want to play and then you change it all up just because well you want to run a different type of game that's pretty bad bait and switch and then you might upset people which is the whole point of why we even did this is that we don't want i wouldn't want to run a game that upset anybody right for whatever reason and i think we try you know because we're supposed to be having fun and i'm and i am not the type of person gm person or gm that thinks that being uh upsetting people is fun uh, no. Some jerks out there that that's what they like to do, but that's not me, and and uh, hopefully that's not anybody that listens to this podcast. But usually, uh, I was thinking more, you know, simple bait and switch where you kind of present it one way and you kind of like insert the weird or, or change something. And I think that's doable. I think that can happen in a game and a one shot with your friends because uh, hopefully you know your friends and. You know what they like. You know what they don't like. You know if they have any things that uh, are taboo or whatever. But even even longtime friends, you might not know exactly what they've been through sometimes, and they may not. You know, you may not know that they don't like something. They don't like something, or they grown not to like it. Because, like, let's say they were never married, and and they have a a, a long term partner, they didn't fall in love, and they go, you know what? I don't want women being mistreated or or put be put in danger. That might be a uh, an issue for somebody that never had that issue before. So it's I think you should be careful with stuff like that. But I think uh, if you know your friends and you have a one shot and you're it's a one shot and it's not gonna inflict too much uh, mental stress on the on their friends. I'm being facetious there, but but if you think that you know it's not gonna be a problem for that group, then you could do something like what I'm talking about now playing a totally different game. That might upset people no matter what. I would just like to say that when you go to a convention, the blurbs about the games, yeah. <clears throat> it's often hard to tell exactly what the game is going to be. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying because I've read some of the descriptions and gone, I don't know what that means. Or, well, yeah. or and then they, they put in there, this is a homebrew game. And then you're like, okay, I don't know what that means. Because what, what I don't know what their rules, their homebrew rules are, right? Right. Well, homebrew usually means that it's something that came it's up changed. With. Well, oh, or or that's it's their own. Well, it's, a lot of those descriptions say D and D fifth edition homebrew. homebrew. Oh yeah. And then you're like going, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know what that means. How much homebrew is? In the, how much is their D and D still in this game? Right. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't consider that bait and switch. I just consider that there's not enough enough uh, space in the program to explain exactly right. what the game is going to be. We are here in Northern California. They give you a little booklet. Terrible. They're working on going to digital, yes. but they haven't. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah, because you know, environmentalists. Oh, there's all those paper that you're throwing away. 
I understand that quandary. So because they print it, there's a lot of different uh, conventions. They limit how much you can say about the game that you're going to run. Especially a convention like like Dundracon because there's, what, 3,500 games or something? <laughs> no, I don't know about that. But they do have quite a few role-playing games for the size of the convention that it is. They have usually over 300 role-playing games, I think. Oh. Maybe it's even more. Role-playing games. That's not... Not including everything else. And, and it was a good thing about... A pretty cool thing about Dundracon is that you get your own individual room. We talked about that. So when you write your blurb, they limit it to, I don't know, how many characters, right? And it, it's like a tweet. Sometimes I'll write something out or what describing my game, and I always have to chop it down, right? Well, you're kind of verbose in that way. <laughs> but but what happens is, is that you're chopping down words that are not aren't necessary. Then when you when you chop out all that, that crap, you're still over. Man, it's hard I, to give a, a succinct a, yes description. Yeah, yeah, and I think that would be a problem if you have a real complicated type of uh, game. You know, to try to just complicated as far as hard hard to describe but you don't want to leave that crucial inf- information that you, this is kind of like crucial information that this is different than just a D game if you're gonna like yeah you want to tell people because then you know some people are okay with that some people are going no i want to play D fifth edition i don't want a homebrew right i don't want to be transported to Morris. a different <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool i mean that I, as a player i would always i am happy to be surprised as long as that they don't like i don't know i haven't come out of the blue yeah but even then i i I just don't i don't know i just don't uh i've never played in a game i never really really didn't like i like being pleasantly pleasantly surprised that's the problem is how do you know you're gonna pleasantly surprise people i think the blurb really helps i think when we described the D game we i said something about where Players will impact other other tables and can impact other tables, and I don't think that was clear enough that saying that players were going to interact with different time tables, or yeah different. Right? I think if I would have put that in, I wouldn't have felt as bad to that guy who was upset that we moved his friend and his wife away from him. But then again, he was kind of a jerk, so I didn't really care about how upset he was. And then his friend and his wife. Had a grand old time. So so he was the only one that was a little bit upset about it. I think he still had a good time. He stayed at the D&D table, I think. I yeah, he did stay at the D&D table. Uh, there was, the way we worked the game, two people out of the whole, ga- out of the each table would stay. Was that right? No, no everybody moved. Everybody moved, yeah. So, so he must have moved. He must have moved. But he didn't seem to complain about it too much. In fact, we were talking about that game. We actually, people really liked it. They thanked us for running it. We did run a little bit over they were happy to stay. I don't think anybody left. No. No, no I don't think anybody left. <laughs> and, just, and we were very tired by the end of that game. Bait and switch, I don't think it's something you should use as a GM uh, and I try to be as forthright as possible. Forthright. Forthright. Isn't that what I said? You said fortright. Well, okay. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. What can I do? Anyways, I think it's probably as my friends who admonished me not to do it, because somebody might be upset. I think it's better safe than sorry. Don't use bait and switch of any kind. Even the the little... Even the slight ones. Add a little bit of weirdness to my World War II game, which I present as a standard, straight-up realistic World War II game, but add weirdness. Just mention it. And Just, think, yeah, in your blurb, say weirdness may approach yeah, you or something. I, what I would do in that game now, now that I've had... 
many years of thinking about it. I literally, I've thought about this game for about 17 years. Is that I would say, talk about D-Day and war as hell kind of thing. And then I would say at the very end, the regular soldier fighting the regular war. And then things go a little strange. And then that's all I would do. I'd be very vague, but definitely mention that things going to get weird. And then... And then what I would, how I would run it would be, I'd be running the game, nothing weird, and I'm sure they're gonna be like looking around every corner waiting for whatever <laughs> to come by, and nothing's happening. And then maybe about halfway through the game, I, what was that you saw out of the corner of your yeah, eye, or it just you know the 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 local villager you come across talks about, like I was telling you, I think I mentioned some other game or lately where uh, little little Peter says that his brother grew hair and. And went out the window in the middle of the night. And they're like, well, okay, we'll, we'll just keep going. <laughs> but little Peter will ask you for help. <laughs> and then, you know, then some, this, you know, like somebody's gone missing in the village. What do you do as a soldier? And that was exactly what I was thinking about putting in my game and stuff like that. So anyway, I think it's something you should use with great caution. Or not use at all. And not use at all. There you go. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. You have a good day.